The following is a conversation between Sean Callahan, the president and CEO of Catholic Relief Services, and Denver Frederick, host of The Business of Giving on AM 970 The Answer in New York City. There were over 7,000 registrants, nearly 2,000 proposals submitted, and now only eight remain, vying for a single $100 million grant to be awarded by the MacArthur Foundation for the best idea and plan to help solve one of the world's most urgent social problems. Hear each of the eight semifinalists of the 100 and Change competition on the business of giving and decide for yourself who deserves to be awarded the $100 million prize. And this evening, we'll be joined by our second semifinalist, Catholic Relief Services, who is looking to change how society cares for children in orphanages with the aim of getting them into family settings. And with us to discuss it is their president and CEO, Sean Callahan. Good evening, Sean, and welcome to the Business of Giving. Good evening, Denver. Thank you for having me. Before we get to the specifics of your proposal, tell our listeners about Catholic Relief Services and the breadth and scope of the work that you do. Catholic Relief Services is the international uh, development arm uh, and humanitarian assistance arm of the United States Catholic community, and we reach out to people in over a hundred countries around the world, reaching over a hundred million people every year, focusing our efforts on emergency response, health interventions, agriculture, water, and economic development. So, Sean, if you would, why don't we start by having you walk us through one of these orphanages and tell us what we would see and what we wouldn't see, what we would hear, as well as what we wouldn't hear. You know, as you walk into an orphanage, and I just came back from Africa and had this experience, you, you normally enter a cinder block room that is crammed with metal cribs. And as you peek into the room, it's a, normally a little dark so that the children seem to be somewhat sedated in that context. And the one thing that struck me as I walk in is the complete silence mm. and just quiet when you have a room packed with children. And then walking into the room and by various cribs, if the children notice you're there, they scurry up and they start grabbing the sleeve of your shirt or grabbing your pants, and they're yearning for some attention and some human contact. Would the lack of noise or the lack of crying uh, be the children realizing it doesn't do them any good? They, doesn't, they don't get a response, so they just stay quiet like that? You know, that is, that is part of it. I, I think, uh, you know, any children that are in this context, uh, as, as the research has shown, you know, three months in an institution delays the development of these children by about a month. But my daughter actually went and volunteered in the summer and worked in one of these areas. And she made a little, sent me a little quote about her feelings about it. And she said there was a young boy named Peter that she was caring for in this. And she said, Peter, who cried every day that his father visited because Peter actually had a father, though he was in an orphanage. His dad was trying, but they were poor, too poor to feed him. And so the father was taking responsibility by putting him in an orphanage. But when Peter got the chicken pox and was on bed rest for a week, his hands bound so that he could not scratch his skin until it bled, he did not cry. He sat staring at the wall mm. like he could feel the world beyond, just sitting there staring at the wall. So we do think that, you know, as you look at these children, that these children just become placated by the environment they're in, and there isn't enough stimulation for them, and they don't have that loving, caring family to help them express themselves. Well, speak a little bit more about that, Sean, if you will. What is the impact on a child, their health, their brain development, and ultimately their ability to function as a productive member of society? 
You know, it's it's actually devastating. Although many people support orphanages for many, many good reasons, and there are people who work in these orphanages that really, you know, try to reach out to the children. But as I was mentioning earlier, uh, every three months in an orphanage delays development by a month itself. And so what you have is a delayed development that is never caught up in the lifetime of many of these children. And then when the children exit the orphanage because they're only in there for a certain period of time, they have great, great difficulty in integrating into society. They have not had the family support structure, they have not had the interactions, and they haven't had those daily experiences that we have in a home that would allow them to integrate. And so in school, they have problems. With relationships, they have Mm -hmm. problems. And oftentimes, they're exploited when they come out of these orphanages and taken by people who probably don't care for them as much as their family would. And they're often subjected to uh, commercial sex type work or exploited in other ways or homeless. Wow. Well, you know, when you think of an orphanage, Sean, you automatically think of a child who has lost its parents. But is that actually the case? It it isn't the case. We found that around the world about 80% of those in orphanages actually have parents and that the problem really is an economic problem and a capacity problem. On the economic side, as I mentioned in that that quote about the, the young boy named Peter, some families don't have the resources to care for their children, and they feel by putting them in, the, in an orphanage that the children would be fed well, cared well, and looked after, and they feel that they can't do it. They just can't cope given the poverty that these people are in. Mm-hmm. In, in other cases, and I've seen this in, in various countries and most recently in a visit to Iraq, Children are placed in some of these locations because of uh, disabilities, either intellectual or physical disabilities. The parents don't have the education or the ability or the support structure to care for children with disabilities. And so they oftentimes hope that these institutions will care for them in a better way than they could. Uh, Does CRS have an estimate of how many children are living like this across the world? There's no exact number, but the estimate that we do have is about 8 million throughout the world right now. Well, this is a pretty tough issue. There's no question about it. So I guess the question would be, how do you go about getting these children back with their parents or at least into some kind of a family setting? What do you do? Well, we work with the orphanages themselves and we work with the local structure of the local government and all and local community-based organizations. And so as we look at the orphanages throughout the world and these 8 million children, we see that probably 4 million of the 8 million are uh, in faith-based institutions. So we've been reaching out to various faith-based institutions that support these children and providing them with the research and the capacity-building techniques that would help them to convert their institutions to child care centers, to resource centers for parents that actually would help educate them and move them beyond this. And so in the case of, of Iraq that I mentioned, the center there now is a day facility where parents can come in learn the techniques of caring for children with either physical physical or intellectual disabilities, and then caring for those children, and then they take the children home and keep them in that family environment. In other cases, we work with social mobilization groups, and we help the families to develop livelihoods that allow them to get the resources so that they can then support the children. And we found that supporting the children in these with these daycare facilities, as opposed to an institution in which, frankly, 
frankly, the child would be somewhat incarcerated, that the children then have the opportunity of that family environment and don't have all these negative uh, traits and stigma that comes with being in an institution. Yeah, so you're really making this much more uh, locally focused. You're trying to provide those parents with some economic stability and some parenting skills to be able to bring these children back into that kind of a loving setting. That's exactly right, and and it's a very cost-effective solution. Uh, Our solution actually costs about one-tenth of what it costs to keep a child in an institution. So you can actually help 10 people with the donation that people would provide normally to one of these institutions. They could actually help 10 children, and it actually allows the children to stay with their family, which the family actually desires, and then it, it produces a child that is a more integrated citizen into society. Yeah, that's fantastic. And I think it's somewhat counterintuitive. You think it would probably cost more, but it doesn't cost less. It costs a lot less. It's unbelievable, 10 cents on the dollar. This approach, where has it been successful? Are there been any countries that have tried it with uh, with, with great results? Yes, you know, we have seen uh, great results in Moldova is one of the countries in Eastern Europe that has had great success with this, as well as we're trying it out in places like Lebanon with some of the migrating communities that go along, that we're reaching out to those communities because many of them are the most vulnerable as well. And so we're seeing that the ability of the families to care for their their children and then the support centers reaching out, providing the education and capacity building for the families as well as helping the children integrate into schools has been tremendously successful. The other important factor in this is as we move it forward, we've been seeing that the governments have been taking on and providing legislation that is supportive of this type of effort. As you may know, in the United States, we don't put children into homes and orphanages anymore and haven't really since the 70s. And so something that we say is we wouldn't send overseas uh, medicine that's been expired, Mm -hmm. that we wouldn't use ourselves and ask them to use it on their children. And we shouldn't be promoting orphanages that we would not put our children in this country in. Um, These are actually facilities that oftentimes are somewhat of an incarceration of a child as opposed to allowing the child to flourish. Yeah, and you have an educational effort there, I would imagine, because I think a lot of people, well-meaning people in this country, are sending their monies directly to those orphanages, thinking they're doing a lot of good, when in fact they could do a lot more good by directing it the way that you have suggested. Do you have any efforts along those lines to try to inform and educate people? We do, and we're going to continue to move on these efforts. We have a resource group and an advisory panel with us that that is a very broad array of various institutions that helps children both technically with intellectual and physical disabilities and reaching out to all of these groups to advise their people that by redirecting aid, they can actually have a much more substantial impact. And so with this 100 and change opportunity, one, we get the attention for this issue so that we broaden it. We can maximize our effort by reaching out to countries and responding to this crisis issue right away in a more rapid manner. And we also um, provide the opportunity for those who are giving to continue giving, but to redirect the aid to these resource centers and see that their, their efforts are actually you know, improving these children 10 times as much as they thought um, by giving to the institution. That's fantastic. Well, in this 100 and Change initiative, you have two partners, Lumos and Maestro. Tell us about them, the roles that each of you guys play, and how this partnership came together around this initiative. It's a real uh, exciting collaboration. Uh, Lumos, as many people would know, is the uh, the charity of J.K. Rawlings of Harry Potter fame. Mm-hmm. And uh, she she had seen these issues, had read some articles in some papers and saw that in, in Eastern Europe, 
you know, children were in very difficult situations. And by difficult situations, pretty much uh, in cages, as she saw it. And it just struck her that that was not the way for a child to develop. And so she started uh, Lumos as an enlightenment, as the name would say, and and from the the magic spells that Harry Potter would to create light in the world. And Lumos is to shed light on this issue. And so they have done, you know, some great awareness campaigns and really focusing on Europe and what she wanted to do was combine with the effort of Catholic Relief Services to spread this throughout the world. They have seen some success in Eastern Europe where they've been working now and wanted to expand that globally. So they joined our our effort on this, as well as uh, Maestral, which is a uh, United um, States-based technical group that protects children. And they have fantastic experts that have worked around the world, and they're coming in bringing their technical expertise. And then we have an array of other organizations, including the Special Olympics and various universities that have come in to join because they all feel now is the time. It's right for the political context to help governments uh, set up a new legislative paradigm that will assist us in moving forward in closing down the orphanages and transforming them into child care centers. Well, it sounds like you have a dream team in which to address this issue. So if your proposal should be chosen as a winning one by MacArthur, what would you do with the $100 million, Sean? What would allow CRS and your partners to achieve? So the, the, the first thing that we would do is we, we would make changes in uh, with government and allow government leaders to help us to move this effort forward. We would also right away start reintegrating children into their family areas. We would start stopping children from being put into orphanages right away because that is one of the key areas that we find that stopping them from getting in will help the children right from the beginning and put them into these support centers. So we will have some campaigns, open up these uh, family-based care centers for the children, and then moving away from that reliance on the care, and then providing these nurturing family care environments, so capacity building and education uh, for the families as they move forward. Mm -hmm. We would also start working with faith-based communities in the various areas so that those different communities, you know, see the strength of this and assisting them in providing the support for these resource centers that are going to be in the local areas in which they work as well. Mm -hmm. Sean, you have spoken about creating a paradigm shift as to how society and the world addresses this issue. And of all the challenges you face in creating that shift, aside from the resources, of course, what do you believe is going to be the most difficult and daunting one that you will encounter? You know, the the most difficult one, I I think, is the acceptance from those who have been supporting orphanages in the first place. Mm -hmm. I think we have many, many well-meaning individuals who have contributed their hard-earned resources to believe that they're protecting and or saving the life of a child by giving to this orphanage. And I think oftentimes people are reluctant to, to believe that they've been supporting an institution that might not be providing the best for the children. And so we're trying to do this conversion process in a way that people don't feel like, like they have been doing something wrong, but that, that the research in these countries and the timing may not have been correct at those times. And so maybe these institutions were ones that did help protect the child, but that now we know that deinstitutionalization really is what the children need, that they need their family and they need that family support. So it's helping these people who have given in the past 
and helping them to be supporters of this paradigm shift so that they can support into the future, as I said before, not just one child that they're protecting and saving, but 10. Let me close with this, Sean. As I'm sure you will agree, there are seven worthy and really just spectacular proposals amongst the other semifinalists. But if I ask you to make the case as to why this proposal will have the greatest impact and benefit to the world and society, what would that case be? I would just tell everyone that just imagine your child uh, sitting in a cell uh, by themselves every day, and it's unconscionable that we as Americans would allow that to occur. We need to free these children. We need these children to flourish and have full potential. So we're not just asking uh, to change something for a moment. We're asking to change a lifetime. So we're really asking people to look in their hearts to support this effort and to assist us in changing the lifetime of these children. Fantastic. Well, Sean Callahan, the president and CEO of Catholic Relief Services, I want to thank you so much for being here with us this evening. If people want to learn more about this specific initiative or of all the work that CRS does, where do they need to go to find it? They can just look on our webpage, which is at www.crs.org. Thanks, Sean, and my best wishes to you and your colleagues in the MacArthur Foundation's 100 and Change competition. Thank you, Denver. Much appreciated. I'll be back with more of the business of giving right after this. The business of giving can be heard every Sunday evening between 6 and 7 p.m. Eastern on AM 970 The Answer in New York and on iHeartRadio. You can follow us at Biz of Give on Twitter and at at facebook.com slash business of giving.